Shalom and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our video stream here. Um, I didn't open it up with uh, Baruch B'Shem Yeshua. And the reason why that is, is um, I've noticed that whenever we do video, it's a lot different than what we do on the audio podcast, uh, which is entitled Baruch B'Shem Yeshua. And uh, if you want to get that podcast, if uh, you can go over to guitarrabbi.com, and there's a link on there to our audio archives, as well as, um, you know, if you want to download them individually, you can do that, but also you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. There's a link on there to go and do that. And uh, so that program is a little bit different than what it is that we do over here it has a much different feel and i've noticed i'm a little bit different in it i'm much more laid back over here but yet the subject matter of course is still very serious um that we get into over here but with baruch b'shem yeshua you know it's it's a much different thing you know i go and i put some um some guitar that i've recorded in the background and it's one of those things that's, you know, more or less there to uh, inform and yet soothe. It's one of those things that uh, you listen to it and you can, you know, fall asleep to it. You can, um, if you need to wind down and you want to get some biblical truth, then um, that's what we do over there at Baruch B'Shem Yeshua. Okay? And uh, it's only an audio version. There's no video of that podcast. And so... Um, this also gets into how it is that we're going to do this going forward on our YouTube channel, The Guitar Rabbi, um, which is, you know, a YouTube channel that is mainly guitar stuff. You know, that's what we do over there. And some people have really liked that we're talking Judaism, talking the scripture a little bit on there, but... Um, not quite as much as the guitar stuff. That's what people have subscribed to. So what we're going to do is every month or every week, we're going to have a Torah portion teaching on the Guitar Rabbi YouTube channel. Okay? So the Torah portion teaching will be there. And then the topical things will be right over here as well. Um... I could see you volume down on phone with friend. Gotcha, gotcha. So, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, with this, um, we are going to do the Torah portion teachings on here. This will be the last topical teaching. And if we ever do interviews in terms of these things like we did with Roy Blizzard, they will be on here as well. Okay? So, uh just wanted to go and give all of that information. And so what we're going to be discussing today is a word, first of all, and that's where we're going to start. A word that is found within the scripture several times. Several times. And it's this word, Torot. And there's also variants of it. There's Toratai, Torativ, and uh, several others. And you will find this word 
dozens of times within the Tanakh or the Old Testament. You will find this word in there many times. And this is, and I'm going to explain what this word is. The word Torah, which is the singular form, because of the fact that it has a tav at the end, it then becomes plural. Okay, we also do this with the mem sofit as well. It can become plural as well. Not this word, but other words, and these have to do with the masculine, feminine. There's no gender neutral things, no transgender stuff in Hebrew. Hate to tell you, uh, <laughs> but you know, with this, you have a plural form of this, and many Bibles will translate this word to laws. Okay, and that's not really you know, a, an accurate term. Whenever it is that you see the word laws, there could be a variety of words that are used within there. Yes, the word Torah can be used as though it is a, um, the, the, the singular form, which is Torah, will be as a catch-all to everything found within the either Torah Shebektav or Torah Okay, Torah Shebektav is the Torah which is written, also known as the Pentateuch. Torah Shebeapeh is the, it, it literally translates to the Torah which comes from the mouth, the Torah which is spoken. The oral Torah is what it is that we call that. And that is essentially the Mishnah section of the Talmud. It is also that of a... Uh, kind of a Cliff Notes version, known as Shulchan Or, that uh, was compiled within the 16th century. And let me go and give a little bit of history of this thing known as Tarash Abiyapeh, the Oral Torah, because this is what we're going to be focusing in on, the Oral Torah, the Talmud, you know. All those things are one and the same, because the Torah, um, Shebek Tav, you know, tells us about the Tarash Abiyapeh, mentions Tarash Abiyapeh, Many times, though it may not show up in your English translations. And this is why the Hebrew was so important. Okay? But the Tarash is within the Mishnah section. And the Mishnah section says this is the ruling from the Sanhedrin. That's what that is. But then you have another section that is within there known as the Gemara. And the Gemara goes and explains the Mishnah. And the Mishnah goes and explains the law that is within the Torah Shebektav, the Torah that is written, also known as the Pentateuch. Okay? And so you have those. And then also within Talmud, you got uh, you got uh, Totafos, you know, you got all those things within there as well. But, you know, we're mainly focusing in on the Mishnah. Okay? Because the... the um, whenever it is... Or, I'm sorry, the, uh, uh, the Tanait, rather... The Tanait goes and explains the Gemara. The Gemara explains the Mishnah. The Mishnah tells you how to fulfill the laws in the written Torah through that of the Sanhedrin. Now, one of the things that you see, especially on social media, is people will say that Yeshua was totally against Tadashi Abiyapeh. He was against the Talmud. He was against the rabbis. He was against all of those things. We are going to look at the Scripture. We're going to put this to the test and see if this is true, okay? As what we're going to do first is we're going to look at various places where this word, and, a, and a, 
a, a divination of it, or not a divination, but a different form of it, Torot, which could also be Toratai, Torativ, all of these things. Toratai, you know, that is, you know, has the word Mai at the end, because if you have a Yod at the end, then it's the word Mai that comes before it. And that takes us to our very first verse here, because Avraham obeyed by voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and Toratai. Okay? Oh, that's very interesting. Now, if we go to that of the Targumim, like, for instance, if you have a Glutnik Homish or something, and you go and you look up this verse in there, it will say within there, and my oral Torah, because you have the plural form of Torah. And within that, the oral Torah does not supersede that of the written. It explains the written. This is how you fulfill what is within that of the written. So whenever Ankelos went and translated the Hebrew to Aramaic, this is what it was that he was trying to, um, you know, show and all this stuff. Shalom. I remember correctly, Avraham ben Ezra referred to Rebbe Yeshua's teaching as Toldot Idom, a Kiruv of the Laship of Israel. That's very interesting that you bring that up because we had a conversation about that at work. Amy and I had a conversation about that at work today about, Ed or not Idom, but Isov. You know, uh, representing Rome. And Edom is a part of that. But that's going to get us off topic there. So we're not going to get into that, okay? I'm bad for getting off topic when it comes to the chat. So I apologize for that. So this is one instance where we go and we find this. And many people would say, well, it could just mean laws there. And no, that's not the way the, way the word Torah operates. And because within Genesis 26.5 here, you also have my commandments, and my statutes, and my Torahs, okay? So what we have here are different classifications. And the classifications of Torah law come down to mitzvot, chokim, and mishpatim, okay? Those are the three classifications of those things, and two of those which are within there, okay? And then the Torah, you know, is the... Uh, the subsects of those things combined as in terms of Torah Shebektav, Torah Shebiapeh, and I would also say Torah HaChaim, the Torah that is living, meaning that of the Messiah. But, you know, we'll get into that at some other point. But we got another verse here, Numbers chapter 5, verse 29, where we have the word Torot as well. This, then, is the Torot, the Torahs, of jealousy when a woman goes astray and makes herself impure while married to her husband. The thing that's interesting with this is that a lot of this falls within very particular tractates of the Talmud that cover this very thing. We will find this in, you know, such tractates as the Tractate of Nida, you know, and so on and so forth. You know, it is found in many different places. We also can find this within that of the Nevi'im, within that of the prophets as well. The Torot of truth, this is a very interesting statement, was in his pay, was in his mouth. And iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, 
and did not turn away from iniquity, as we see in Malachi chapter 2, verse 6. That is very interesting. Then we have the word torot, we have the word emunah with the, with the term truth, and then we have the word pay, meaning mouth, that you know gets into that of one of the things that we see in Psalm 119. It says that the Torah is emunah, that it is truth. And we have basically a statement here that is referring to that of a spoken Torah, written and oral, coming from the pay, coming from the mouth, like Torah pay, and it as well be an emunah, considering that all three of those words are within there and that they are all key words into this whole thing. That's a, a powerful verse right there that we cannot just look away from. But then the question then becomes, there is no authority that these rabbis say we have to do halakha, that we have to do what the Talmud says. There, the Bible says nothing about that. It says that it's in there, you know, that it's truth. But how do we know we have the well? The thing you have to understand is that we have six chapters of the Torah Shebektav, the written Torah, saying that the Sanhedrin has been given authority over halakhic matters as well as civil matters. This is how. The Sanhedrin operates, and how or how it operated when it was still going, to the seventy uh, to seventy uh, C.E. when the temple was destroyed and all this stuff. And Deuteronomy seventeen really goes to show us how important and how importantly God takes this whole thing when He says. In Deuteronomy 17, you must act according to the decisions they give you at the place the Lord will choose. Be careful to do everything they instruct you to do. Act according to whatever they teach you and the decisions they give you. Do not turn aside from what they tell you to the right or the left. Anyone who shows contempt for the judge or the priest who stands ministering there to the Lord your God is to be put to death. You must purge the evil from Israel. All the people will hear and be afraid and will not be contemptuous again. Right here, Hashem takes this it's such great authority and says, you better listen to what it is that they say. Now, the timing of this, a lot of people try and get very conspiratorial because they don't understand the history of the Mishnah, of the Tosefta, of any form of Torah She'ebiyapeh. They don't understand this. They see a print date on something, you know, just pick up any book. Any book. You know, I got this one over here. From the Talmud and Hebraica by John Lightfoot. Okay? Um, in his book over here, there will be a date in which it is that this was printed. Okay, it's printed in the public domain in 2012 is when this book was put out. 
2012. Okay. So does that mean this whole thing was written in 2012? It's a pretty thick, thick book here. Uh, how many pages we got here? We got about 500 pages in this thing. 500 pages. So that would... The way some people think is that, okay, well, that means that this was an existence, that this was, you know, a, a work in 2012. No, but there was time leading up to that, okay? And the same is true with the Talmud because people will go and say, well, it didn't come about until the 3rd century, which is the time after the Sanhedrin had disbanded. What gives? What gives? How can you say that these things are old? If it was not printed, if it was not circulated until the 3rd century. How? It goes back to what it is we were, that it was called before. The Torah which was spoken. It was not something to be written down. But what ended up happening is that because of the Desmarab, because of being in exile, it was at risk of being lost. Think on this. The people during Yeshua's day did not have a copy of the Torah, of the Ketuvim, of the Nevi'im. They did not have those things. You wanted to read it, you go to the shul. You go to some place of Jewish learning, you might be able to read it there. But we didn't have personal books at that time. Many of these books of the Bible, it's very interesting. Because the book of Deuteronomy was written roughly 500 years after the death of Moshe Rabbeinu, of Moses. 500 years afterwards. That's, that's rather interesting. The thing is that the, the oral Torah was preserved orally. It was preserved through its practice, its implication. But then... When the Desperah, the exile happened, these things were at risk of being lost, being gone forever. So, the Mishnah was then written down. It was then written down. And there were some bad players in the mix. In fact, we had the Roman government during the days of Yeshua going and appointing people as judges on the Sanhedrin. That's why you don't find any rulings from any of those supposed judges, supposed individuals, Pharisees, Sadducee, what have you, that were sitting on the Sanhedrin during the time of Roman occupation. Did they get lazy? Did they just say, we don't need to make any rulings on anything now? There were rulings that were made, but there were rulings that were not to be upheld. And the reason for that is because of the fact that there were many people, Roman officials, that bought their place on the Sanhedrin. Caiaphas, for instance, bought his place 
on the Sanhedrin. Now, we have to understand two of the main sects of this time. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees. Let's start, first of all, with, well, let's, to make it easy, we'll start with the Sadducees. You guys have heard of the Kairites today. The Kairites did not believe in Tadashi Abiyape. Because of the fact they didn't believe in Tadashi Abiyape, they didn't believe in angels. Well, wait a minute, doesn't the Torah talk about it? it? It does, because there's a word within there, Malachim. Malachim literally translates to messengers. It can also be angels or heavenly messengers. The Kairites decided to interpret that as earthly individuals. The Sadducees, a.k.a. the Kairites, we can use those interchangeably because they're the exact same thing, did not believe in the concept of Mashiach. Why? Because the Torah doesn't talk about a Mashiach. doesn't say you need a Mashiach. doesn't say anything about that. But however, one of the things that we will learn is that throughout the Torah in the Gemara section, we end up seeing that this concept of Mashiach was all throughout Judaism because Isaiah 53, as well as Isaiah 7, and many other places were said to be parallels to that of the Messiah. In fact, on Kelos, Goza says, well, what about this word Sheol that is within there? Well, let's go to the Tadashiah When it says that Sheol may come, as we see in the book of Pediatrics of Genesis, it says this, what is this? Oh, that's Mashiach, because our sages say in the Talmud that, which was passed down orally during his time, that Sheol is the name for the Messiah, as we find in Sanhedrin 98a. This is a concept that was a heavily rabbinic concept. The Sadducees didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe anything spiritual about these things. They're just like, this is how you live a good life. You just do these things. You just, you know, it'll help you to live a good life. That's why we have this. It's just an instruction book that could have been written by a secular author. That's the way the Sadducees saw things. The Pharisees, however, preserved... Judaism, preserved the oral Torah, and upheld things such as the concept of not only one Messiah coming, but the Messiah coming twice, or two Messiahs, known as Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, the concept of resurrection of the dead, the concept of angels, all of these things were things that the Pharisees upheld and taught and preserved in Judaism to this day today. So understanding all of these things, let us go to Matthew chapter 23. And Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the scribes of the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Now what Yeshua is saying here, is he saying, do as the scribes and Pharisees say, and observe and do whatever it is that they say to do. Because they were teaching the right things, though it is that they bought their seat on the Sanhedrin at that time. 
They were teaching the right halakha, but they were not observing it themselves. He's calling them hypocrites. That's one of the things that we see Yeshua taking great issue with the Pharisees, is the fact that they were hypocrites. But there's also many different, there's five main sects of the Pharisees, and if we can kind of bunch them up, put them in two sects, really, because two of them are very brought apart, and they're the two most major ones. And that would be the ones that were under the, the scholarship of Shammai. Shammai was very strict with the Torah law. He was extremely strict. You know, when we see in Acts chapter 15, it says that our elders have put these things upon us that nobody could uphold. Uh, these were the individuals that were saying, okay, hey, hey, you, come on, come on over here. You need to convert right now. This was Shammai's people. Okay. Uh, Hillel's people said, you know, well, no, no, we had these concepts of Ger Toshav, uh, Ger Sedek, and all this stuff. You kind of work your way up to that, but you don't have to go to that point. You know, you got all these different places to, you, you, to connect with God and all that stuff. They were much more liberal, if you will, in their observance. And they tried to, you know, the, the Sadducees would try and kill anybody who was, uh, you know, who did anything against the, the, the Torah law and put them to death. The Pharisees, however, said that if one person was killed because of a ruling from the Sanhedrin, every, every seven years it was a murderous Sanhedrin, just one person. And so, you know, there's a, a huge difference here. And Yeshua took great issue with those who were of the school of Shammai. We see this in Mark chapter 7, because he then goes and quotes something out of the Mishnah, goes and quotes what the Halakha is that we can also find in Shulchan Oric as well. Um, Adavan said, are you kind of losing it? Let's see here. I don't know. Let's see here. So, we have those concepts over there. And then... We have another aspect here that we have to look at as well. Within Acts chapter 23, verses 6 through 8, it says, Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out around the councils, Brother, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. With respect and hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. That's something that we talked about earlier with that, how it is that Paul goes and says, wait a minute, it's not that I was a Pharisee, I am a Pharisee, because of these core concepts these core concepts that are found within that of rabbinic Judaism. Now, the thing is that, again, we have a lot of people say, well, you know what, Yeshua, Jesus never quoted the Talmud. He never quoted any of these things. And the ones that say those things are ones that just, well, they don't know. They don't know. Because they've never gone and picked up any of these documents. They've never gone and picked up any of these uh, of these tractates, books, or what have you. And they're rather expensive. 
you know, I have a set of Talmud, which will run you about two, two grand, 28 huge books. I have the same with the Zohar. So these are things that people end up going online, and what they'll do is they'll, you know, get things that they'll find online saying, oh, yeah, you know, stuff that is recycled from things like the Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion and those types of materials. They'll go and pick all of those up. And so the thing is that they haven't really gone and looked at any of these things. They don't know what they actually say. I've done many episodes where it is that I've had to open up the Talmud, scan the pages, and say, no, that's not what it says. It doesn't say Yeshua is boiling an excrement. It says that Balaam is boiling an excrement. But, you know, here's one example, for instance. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 says, Then he said to them, The Sabbath was not made for, uh, was, w- the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, if we go to Yoma 85b, we see right there, Rabbi Jonathan ben Joseph said, For it is holy unto you, i.e., the Sabbath is committed to your hands, not you to its hands. The Malkita in Exodus 31 14 says, The Sabbath was made for you. You weren't made for the Sabbath. We have Yeshua over here directly quoting Tarashabiapeb, directly quoting Talmud. Then we go to Mark chapter 12, verses 30 through 31, where Yeshua says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well, this comes directly from Shabbos 31a in that of the Talmud, where it says, our rabbis taught a certain heathen once came before Shammai and asked him, how many Torahs do you have? Two, he replied, the written Torah and the oral Torah. I believe you with respect for the written, but the respect for the oral Torah. Make me a proselyte on condition that you teach me the written Torah only. But he scolded and repulsed him in anger. When he went before Hallel, he accepted him as a proselyte. Okay, this is Shammai and Hallel again that we talked about earlier. On the first day, he taught him Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalet. The following day, he reversed them. But yesterday, you did not teach me thus, he protested. Must you then not reply upon me? The rely, uh, the rely upon me with respect to the oral Torah too, on the occasion it happened that a certain heathen came before Shammai and said to him, make me a proselyte on the condition that you teach me the whole Torah while I stand on one foot. Whereupon he, re- he repulsed him and the builder's cubit, which was on hand, and he went before Hillel and he said, what is hateful for, to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah. While the rest is commentary thereof, go and learn it. Okay? So there we go. There we go. This is, you know, basically Yeshua directly quoting this. And I have a book, and I don't have it on this bookshelf. It must be on the one back over here. So I I can't show it to you now. But I put out a book called The Rabbinic Gospel of Mark came out probably about three or four years ago. 
And it shows every single time in the Gospel of Mark, which is the shortest gospel, of all, as all you guys know, um, just barely over a dozen chapters. The Oral Torah is directly quoted over 300 times within there. Now, what is the operation of the Oral Torah? Okay, that's one of the main things. What what is what is what is its operation? It's trying to make things harder on me. No, no. There's something that is known as hashkafa. A, a good way to put hashkafa into English would be worldview. There is worldview in everything that it is that we that we have in terms of Torah law. There is worldview with all of it because you take for instance. You know, one of the funniest parts of the movie Airplane was when you have the lady from Leave It to Beaver going and speaking jive, you know. That was 50 years ago. People don't speak jive anymore. You don't have that. People do not speak jive today anymore. So it seems very foreign to people. But, you know, in the, in the 90s, if you said the word word, you know, it's like, okay, well, that takes on a new meaning at that time. Then what it meant... 10 years before, 20 years before, so on and so forth. Why? Because this worldview, the worldview, the way it is that we interpret things, all of those things change over time. But the thing is that the Torah of Hashem does not change. As we see in Malachi 3. In Malachi 3, God says, I do not change. Well, if God doesn't change, obviously his Torah doesn't change. Obviously, the way that these things were to be implemented as a community, as we see within Leviticus chapter 23, those things do not change. So there had to be a consensus. And the consensus deals with how is the entire community to uphold these laws. When you have, for instance, the commandment, of the Zitziot, or a talit katan, or a talit gadol. How is this to be done? How many knots are supposed to be in there? You know, how, how is this supposed to hang? Do we do it on the belt loops? No, no. They, people didn't have belt loops back then. There's halakha in terms of that, saying, okay, well, this is how it is they're crafted. This is how it is that they're put together. This is how it is that you are to wear these things. And so those things, it's kind of like, you know, you go in and getting a table from Ikea. Oh, gosh. Gotta hate getting tables from Ikea or anything from Ikea and then having to put it, put it all together. So you go in and you start putting it all together and then you have to, you know, unless you're really full of yourself, you got to go and look at those instructions. How is it that I put this together so it doesn't fall down, crumble into 100 pieces and kill my cat? You know, so you follow the instructions to make sure that that doesn't happen so that the table is able to function the way it's supposed to. Talmud and the Mishnah, what that is, is it is to make sure that you do it correctly. That you do it correctly. And I'll give you a little story. Give you a little story. I went uh, many years ago, I went to Shalom Fest over in uh, uh, Greenville, South Carolina. And the interesting thing is there were a lot of people over there who are believers in Yeshua, 
and they decided that they are going to go and witness to the Chabadniks over there. And so you have these individuals that are wearing, you know, a bell lube zizio with fake tequilet on it and all this stuff. And they are praying without their heads covered and they're reciting a variation of the four letter name of God. And these people don't know English or don't know Hebrew. They don't know a lick of Hebrew. As these Chabadniks were walking by, they're sitting over there going, I don't care what it is that those people have to say because they don't even know the basics of Judaism. They're not even a part of us. They don't understand the whole thing with, with Zitzio. They don't understand. They don't even know what they're saying in Hebrew, but it's not the four-letter name of God. It's not even close. But, you know, the thing is, they don't even understand why it is that we don't say the four-letter name of God. By the way, just if you want that, that's in Rosh Hashanah. Uh, 2A within that of the Talmud. It's the very first Mishnayot within there. They're saying these guys don't even know what the heck that they're doing. They're not a part of us. The thing is that with that, not upholding these 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 things really hurts the Guf HaMashiach. Greatly, greatly hurts the Guf HaMashiach because of the fact that what you have there are a bunch of lone wolves that are going and tying themselves to a group of individuals that later ended up going and selling Jews to the Nazis during the time of the Holocaust and during the Spanish Inquisition, for that matter. These were the Kairites, the Sadducees, those who said, I'm going to do it like Sinatra said. I'm going to do it all. I'm going to do it my way. So there you have it. That is the reason for the Oral Torah. That is the Oral Torah referenced in the Tanakh. That is, that is it being paralleled by that of the Messiah Yeshua. I hope and I pray, guys, that this has been helpful to you, has been a blessing to you. And um, I want to wish you all shalom bracha. Peace and a blessing. Shalom.